My Tribe podcast. Thanks for being here. Super excited about today. You know, when I started this podcast, it was really just about focusing on relationships in my life and focusing on moments and just things I want to sort of remember um, and relationships that I want to highlight and, and remember. And, you know, of all the relationships that I've had outside of my immediate family that have been a major part of my life, my relationship with my guest today is the longest and, and potentially the most impactful. I In just so, so many ways, Nick, Nick Fournier, who is with me today, he's just been an absolute member of my family since I was in kindergarten. And we became best friends and when I was five and our friendship has taken many shapes and forms, but it, it never stopped being more than a friendship at all times. And it became family, became a brotherhood, and I'm just lucky. I've, I've always been lucky to have him in my life, and I'm psyched today because we're going to talk for a long time and, and sort of rehash a bunch of memories. Um, in so many parts of my life, Nick has really carried me on his shoulders. Uh, Sometimes, sometimes, literally. Uh, but he's protected me forever. Uh, he's the big brother that I didn't have. He's the guy that has made me always feel safe. Uh, he's he's always really been dedicated to me. And, you know, um, whatever I need, Nick has always stepped up with. Uh, and what I've needed in different times of life has been very different things. But whatever I've needed, he's been there for. Um, and, you know, a lot of you know the story of Timmy Strong this summer. And Nick was as much a driving force behind that as anyone. And it was just, you know, it was another point in my life where Nick was at the beach in Connecticut with his family. And I had a heart attack. And for the next two months especially, I needed a lot. And my family needed a lot, and Nick stepped up and provided all of the above. From communication, to presence and just being there, to helping start Timmy Strong, to raising money, to, to bringing people together. Um, he did it all. And that was just one two-month span, but our friendship has been 38 years. And for those of you that just met him this summer, he's been carrying me this summer. And he's been carrying me for 38 years. So I love this man. I've needed him all along. And I'm so excited to have him here today. So that's it. Let's roll. Nick. All right. Well, here we go. Uh, long awaited for me. We are here. And I have the guy of all guys, my man, Nick. Welcome. Welcome to the pod, Nick. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're thrilled to, thrilled to have, I'm thrilled to have you, man. Um, and so what, you know, what our plan here is to just, we, we probably could fill five of these with the amount of memories we have together, but it's, my plan is to bring up a memory, sort of say what I remember and um, get your take on it and uh, do that with a bunch of different memories. Uh, so I, I have the world's worst memory, so I know that you'll be correcting me a few times, um, but uh, I look forward to uh being corrected and, and going through all these things with you. So um, one of the things that I have, uh, 
in my head at least, I have a vivid memory of is when we were in kindergarten and kindergarten is when we became friends at Memorial with Mrs. Childs. Right. Um, I do remember, and not to start in a tough spot, but I, I really have this memory of meeting, of seeing you at Christmas Mass. I don't know if it was Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Um, and if I, if my memory serves me, we sat behind you and when mass ended, we sort of talked briefly and your mom and dad were there and my mom and dad, do you have any memory of that at all? Um, I don't have a vivid memory of the mass, but just based on your, your assumed timeline, I mean, I, I, I know I can answer accurately. It, it would have had to have been Christmas Eve because Christmas day, my dad was already gone. No, I'm sorry. It might've been Christmas day. He died the day after Christmas. Yeah. So no, I guess it could have been either. Um, Hmm. Yeah, I don't yeah, know the timeline, it, but it was the next day he passed. So. Yeah, and it's just, I don't know if my brain has created the memory because he passed that following day or if this actually happened. But for some reason, I yeah. have a fairly vivid memory of... I mean, it's possible. I mean, I was raised Catholic up until, you know, I was expelled from confirmation class. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my dad was probably more Catholic than my mom was, so I'm sure that that is accurate. I just don't have a vivid recollection. But, yeah, you know, your timeline was accurate. Sorry about that. Yeah, and so the the thing about that that just sticks with me is that that was when we were three or four months into our friendship. I'm not sure how much we were hanging outside of school yet, but we certainly had connected. And, you know, little did any of us know that that next day – your, your life would change forever. Uh, and that said, our friendship would go to places we never thought. So it was just sort of a, you know, I'm going to try and do these in chronological order as best I can. But that was uh, that was one that I, I distinctly, distinctly remember. Yeah, I mean, that event in my life, obviously, was uh, transformative of you know, all aspects of my life. Um, but in, in one direction was... Um, the bonds we were able to expand on rapidly. I mean, yourself and, and Patrick, our other buddy, Patrick Murphy, because um, I was raised by three families, my single mom, Timmy's parents, Tim and Mary, and Patrick's parents, uh, Big Murph and McGee or, or Barbara. Um, and I mean, you guys adopted me, essentially. Your, your parents are my parents, and that was certainly, you know, from that day forward, um, yeah, we were, I, I was a... a Adopted son to both of both your families, so yeah, no, I absolutely adopted brother for me. Um, all right, so we start our friendship, we get rolling. Um, you still contest that this didn't really happen, but one of the things I remember is somewhere in elementary school, uh, you you know you were always more mature than me, you were always ahead of me, uh, in your thinking and your understanding and in your independence, um. And I do, I have a memory of coming to you and saying, hey man, what is this sex thing that I keep hearing about? What is sex? And, you know, my memory is that you had a girl down the street who was kind of our age named Mary. And uh, you said to me, Timmy, you don't know what sex is? And then you looked at me and said, you haven't had sex. And I'm like... <laughs> you know, in my brain, I'm like, no, I don't even know what it is. What are you talking about? And you go, oh, it's when you, you know, you dance naked with a girl. You guys dance naked around, around your room. And I, and you, and you, you kind of said you do it with Mary all the time. 
And so, I don't know. You, you, you don't think that happened. Is that correct? All right. So, <laughs> my, my memory of that is not exactly the same as that. Uh, I don't doubt for one second some version of that conversation occurred. Um, I doubt the accuracy of it. But I will say that in my neighborhood, I was the youngest of all kids. Um, my brother was two and a half years older than me, and then everyone was older from there. You know, my friend Mike Remillard, Mike Roberts, like guys I hung out with, they're all three years older than me for the most part, including said Mary, we'll leave her at a first-name basis. Um, she was maybe two years older than me. So, and she had older brothers, and I had older brother and older sister. And, you know, so yeah. But at that age, I had seen a naked girl. We, we had done, like, showing each other's parts to each other. Now, whether it was uh, dancing around the room, uh, that I cannot say. I don't recall. But, um, yeah, I was certainly on an accelerated uh, maturation process just based on being me, being the youngest, and especially even during those years, um, I had a single mom who was working as a, as a nurse. Uh, we spent a lot of time on our own, um, being raised by the neighborhood in the streets of the neighborhood. So, yeah, I definitely... Uh, Definitely saw things on a much ex uh, more accelerated pace than uh, probably most of our friends. So. Yeah, you and we were, and it was funny because you were like the most accelerated and I was the least accelerated. Yes. So it was <laughs> a, in our crew, it was so, odd that so we were so much so where when we were young and Timmy would like ride his bike to my house, yeah. I had to meet him at the top of the street to like be a crossing guard for him. And we're the same age. Yeah. But that was one of the, the, the parameters of his being able to ride yeah. to my house is that I crossed the busy street for him or with him. That was, that was, I had that on here. That was, I think I was 11. You had been riding your bike to my house for like three years. And I finally got permission from my parents to ride to your house. But exactly that Island Pond was the last road and it was busy. And my parents would let me ride as long as you would cross me over. Did they make, did they make, cross plum tree with you do they, they bring you down to that point no they know? trusted me on plum tree okay. they didn't trust me on that part of island pond and i i was pretty good at like talking to my parents and verbalizing my wise and yeah. i couldn't get them through that one <laughs> so like the day i got to ride my bike to your house it was with the caveat that you would cross me at the end of the ride how emasculating <laughs> it was just oh it's a wonder i'm comfortable in my skin um well, one of the themes that I talked about in the intro and that will come up often is just how how much you've carried me throughout my life in so many ways and how dedicated you've always been to me. And, uh, you know, one of those times that you first proved that was um, in fifth or sixth grade when we were at New North. Nick and I went to a school for fifth and sixth grade that was in downtown Springfield. It had 1,200 fifth and sixth graders. It was actually larger than my college with only fifth and sixth graders. <laughs> Um, the concrete jungle. The concrete jungle of New North, now known as Arena. With, with bulletproof screen on the windows. Yeah, uh, yeah. We went from Holy Cross Catholic School, a mile from our house, to the concrete jungle. It was a great school, though. Fantastic magnet school. Um, it, flooded. it flooded every time it rained. Yeah, like the underground it. tunnel. It would, you, it would be 18 inches of groundwater in the tunnel. We couldn't go to gym class or swim class That's right. because the tunnel was flooded. <laughs> It also had a planetarium <laughs> that you would go down to during yeah. science yeah. Um, and hope that you could hold a girl's hand when the lights went out. Um, 
But we were in a play called The Peace Childs. Was it The Peace Child was the one? Yeah, Peace Child. The Peace Child. Peace Child. And Nick had a bigger role than me. And as everybody knows, I've always liked to talk. Um, and in one of our play rehearsals, um, I had been warned, I'm sure, a bunch of times. Um, and I just kept chatting on the side. And uh, I was kind of talking to Nick. And one of the teachers told me I was out of the play. Um, I was too talkative and I was out of the play and I was like devastated and my heart dropped because as much as I talked, I didn't really get in much trouble very often. And um, you immediately, I think immediately or, or pretty close to it, announced that you were talking to me and if I was out of the play, then you were out of the play as well. And that was only fair in your eyes. And uh that shifted things a bit because you had a pretty big role in the play. <laughs> and uh, I was reinstated. I was reinstated. Listen, sometimes when someone throws a live grenade, someone's going to jump on it, you know, for the greater good. And, uh, yeah. Yes, that is 100% accurate, that story. That's exactly how I remember it. Um, the play was whacked, too. So, yeah. I mean, it's like, <laughs> if we were both out of it, Peace child. It's like, uh, man, we're great, man. We're, we're just finding girls for the first time. Yeah. World, world peace. Um, yeah, I mean, the, one of the most, uh, you know, one of the major dynamics of our relationship is I'm the defender. I am the guardian. Yeah. You know, um, you know, from day one, I mean, our, our height gap has closed, but very early on, I was a good full head taller than you. Yeah. Um, you know, and I always had to look out for him. Timmy was the smallest kid in town, and I was I was one of the bigger ones, and I was beaten to a pulp almost daily by my brother. So <laughs> I did have some uh, shout out to Ross. Yeah, shout, shout out, out to, to Ross, Ross if morning. he's listening, yeah. if this catches um, his phone. Yeah, I had some. Uh, you know, I could take my lumps. I knew how to defend myself, and I had no problem defending up, you know, those closest to me. Yeah. That's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. Um, made my life a lot easier knowing I always had someone always had my back. Um, well, I appreciate you <laughs> getting me back in the peace child, man. <laughs> I just want to go on the My Tribe record of yeah. that really life-changing experience, actually, because it taught me so much about devotion to friends. And, uh, you know, we had such a close-knit crew all those years um, with the nucleus being... You, me, Murph, Wheels, McCollum, uh, right from like second grade on. And, uh, but you, y your dedication to friendship and your loyalty, that's the word I'm looking for, your loyalty. Peace, Peace Child was just another example of your loyalty. Um, so I appreciate it, man. Uh, on a totally different note, one of the memories I wrote down here, and I think you have this one, is, you know, we played a ton of hoops growing up. You know, we had Holy Cross, we had the Holy Cross Heat. Yeah. Um, Nick's career was um, vibrant through eighth grade and then unfairly ended in ninth. But uh, you were known for that killer crossover, oh, man. Killer crossover. Tell us about the killer crossover. Killer crossover. <laughs> uh, I, my basketball skills were limited to, uh, you know, rebounding. I could box out. I could, I could snag a board. Uh, I would play some hard-nosed defense. I would lean into – I would be an undersized center and lean into people push them around. I would get floor burns. I had no problem running, diving for loose balls. I could not shoot a lick. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I could pass a little bit and I could set screens. Um, yeah, that's my basketball career in a, uh, in a nutshell. So when we get to high school, we are uh, having freshman basketball tryouts and we had four on four scrimmages. And my recollection, it was my four, my team of four was me, Kevin Hennessy, who was a kind of a lumbering number, you know, center of five. Uh, a Russian kid named Dmitry Parapolochik, and some, I think it was another Russian kid who I'm pretty sure had never even seen a, like a real leather basketball, and myself. So someone had to bring the ball up, yeah. you know? Yeah. Someone. I mean, we couldn't just not dribble yeah. the ball to half court. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I had a career playing in the backyard at uh, – Behind the Tian's house, which is now Timmy's house, on that half moon court, just playing one on one with Timmy. And my only move to get, ever get by him was either to, to stick my robust derriere and I'm just back him <laughs> down, or if I had to play him face up, I could get low and just do a one two crossover and try to go by you, kill a crossover. It was, it was a decent little move for a guy who had limited game. But uh, so with the freshman. After freshman tryouts, they were going through and doing cuts in the Charlie Mannheim said, uh, yeah, um, I just, you know, you, you did you did well, you did fine, but I just don't see you as a point guard on this team. I said, I'm not a point guard. I'm a power <laughs> forward, you know. As well, during the whole tryout, you had you were bringing the ball up. I go, coach, you put me on a team with, you know, half the USSR and a, you know, a 6'3 freshman who could, you know, look like a baby giraffe running. Yeah. I mean, someone had to bring the ball up. Yeah. And he goes, oh, well, it's too late. The team's made. And I was, I was odd man out, so. Uh, but I quickly became team manager and set my own uh, my own legacy through high school as that, and played one year of JCC ball. I think I averaged eighteen a game. So I, think was, I, think yeah, I think you did. I think you did. I think you did. And I'll never forget your crossover because, yeah, we did play one on one on my little half moon court, but we also played a ton of like three on three or four on four back there, and it was so small, and you had to clear it. And so part of why you had such a good crossover was like you grab a rebound and there's not really room for like an outlet pass to clear it, right? So like whoever grabs the board had to dribble out and that's where you would maybe one or two high dribbles and then a quick boom, boom, boom little, yeah. yeah. Instant traffic. In, yeah, there was instant traffic, which I think was part of what led to your killer crossover, which led to you playing the wrong position in tryouts, which unfortunately led yeah. to the end of your playing yeah. career. I um, success with my, my own detriment. Yeah. I'll never forget. Uh, and you may have invented the double crossover. I guess I guess the dude, I guess Tim Hardaway was probably doing it around <laughs> the same time. But, I, you know, I was all about handle. I never did the double cross. You always did the double cross. I loved it. Um, so going back to the, you know, your awful loss the day after Christmas as a kindergartner, um, on a serious note, one of the most special things that developed was from, I don't know if it started at age six the following year or if it started at seven or eight, but the tradition started that you joined us sometime during the day on Christmas and you slept over Christmas night. And that was no phone calls needed, no planning needed. That was automatic and it was annual. And I don't remember when it officially ended, but it, it made it till college. Uh, at some level. Maybe even into. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, it's hard to remember the start because there were so many of them. Um, but I, I do believe it was the very next year. I mean, my, my mom being a, a nurse working holidays was often a necessity. Um, 
and even if you had three kids and no husband. Um, so, yeah, that I remember it being very early on, whether it was when we were six or seven, it was right around there. And yeah, you're right. It was a, it was a staple. It was uh, early on. It, I believe it was later in the day where I would come over and then I would sleep over as I got a little older and my Christmas mornings were not um, were a little you know you get to be a teen or whatever. We started doing the Richie uh, uh, breakfast at Richie's uh, Kathy's house, which was always the, the big Allen family Christmas morning family brunch. That's where I was assured to have. My one time a year, I was going to be able to have quiche. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's still it's still my one time a year yeah, having quiche. Always a couple quiches there. Yeah, it's yeah. still. Um... Uh, yeah, and then yeah, it would always crash. Um, and then we'd have the uh, the the re- revealing of the Fournier gift giving. Yes. My mom, love her, but man, she could not read the room when it came to gift giving. Uh, <laughs> she gave you what. She thought you wanted, not what you actually wanted. Um, so every year I would get at least one. Just legendary. One, one legendary bad. Just what legendary. the hell is this gift? <laughs> and, you know, I wouldn't blow my mom up. You know, I'm like, thanks, mom. Yeah, that's great. Uh, but then I would, you know, bring said gifts over to Timmy's house later in the day. Like, yo, look at this shit. Like, and then just go through, like, you know. Just the soul crushing like, embarrassment of receiving this gift and just burying it deep down inside about, uh, thank you, mom. Oh, what the hell? Um, yeah, that was, that happened I can't, far too often. Yeah, I can't overstate yeah. the excitement that grew every year to hear your story of Christmas morning. Because the other thing, like, as you said, you started joining us earlier and earlier. And part of that was because you and Ross would get up at like 4.30 yeah. in the morning. You'd, you'd be through your gifts at 5.30. Uh, and then you'd just be eating honeycombs and waiting to see what's next. Honeycombs or golden grams. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you got so early, my mom started putting up signs like at the bottom of the staircase. We'd come down and be like, don't you even dare waking us up till at least 6 a.m. Yeah, yeah, till at least yeah. 6. Yeah. Till at least 6. Uh, and so... Yeah, that became a really special day, though. You know, everybody talks about friends that become family. um, And, uh, you know, those of us that are lucky have had friends become family. But your inclusion in our Christmas um, in every way, shape or form, uh, you know, and and for a lot of of years, that was a hard night for you, too. You know, and I'm sure it still is. Um, So there was a lot of good in what we were doing. what the sticking with that for one more second is I do remember one year our Santa Clauses collided and both got us like what we thought were the best remote control cars in history. And, and they were like yeah. when I think back, they were legit. They were like Indy 500 cars. Yeah. Um, and I, it, I think that was the year that we were in the hallway at my house and just racing them around the den kitchen hallway like. I don't want to call it a circle, you know, all these houses, all the people have now that have these massive circles. This was like like an oval track. It was an oval track. Um, I think that I, but I think we were so into it. I think you like busted a window in the hallway. Like, I think you like, as we were moving, like fell into a window and like sat in the window and, (laughs) and and it was a double window. So it didn't like mean we were exposed to outside the rest of the night, but 
Um, I remember my parents handling that very cool and just sort of going with the flow. Two yeah. boys with their remote control cars. They broke a window. No big yeah, deal. I remember mine. My, my, God, mine was the do, uh, Domino's Pizza. My, my yes, it was. Yes. Yeah, it was dope. Oh, it um, was dope. It was dope. I don't remember falling through the window, but that's tight. I have a lot of like falling through windows, breaking glass stories in my life. Yeah. So that's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At least three others I can think of. You got one at Kylie Middle School oh, that yeah. went, you paid for the window and it's oh, still not fixed. No, it might be now, but yeah. it went back to 20 years later, it wasn't. Yeah. Same old duct tape holding that thing together. Get my 75 bucks 75 back. 75 bucks a piece. <laughs> Me and Jeff Jackson had to pay 75 They took 150 from us for a pair of paint of like shatterproof glass. This shit was shatterproof, right? We shattered it. And, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, 20 years later, go back. This thing's still broken. They never you fixed got it. You got took. <laughs> Um, all right, so moving a little bit more to high school life, and this could be a podcast in itself, but um, the first one I want to start with is, yes, you, as you mentioned, you became um, basketball team manager, um, and you were a major part of coming on the road, everything, um, and you're, you're to this day the world's best book, um, best person ever to do the book, and uh Anyway, so senior year, me and Murph and Wheels all on the team, um, some really competitive games. I had a good season. Uh, we play at Northampton. Murph had a great season, too. And uh, and it was a huge, hostile crowd. Um, and my memory is that they were riding me the whole night. And they were good. They weren't bad at it. So the one I remember them saying the most was, Every time I'd be dribbling up, they'd be yelling, hey, little boy, do you want some candy, little boy? Do you want to get in my van, little boy? And uh, they were, it was an old gym. They were right on the court. Um, and anyways, we, John Gleason, my buddy, was on the other team. And, yeah, Gleason, he, he could play. He was only a sophomore then. Um, but we, we played well, and we eventually won. And I, I think there was less than a minute to go when I caught the ball near their fans. And they had to follow me at that point. And it yep. was kind of like the game was in the books. Um, and they followed me quickly near their fans. And I'm not going to lie, you know, I paused for a second and gave a little glance. Yep. Um, but I deserved it at that point. They had been brutal to me. But um, And then their fans went crazy and, and started to come down a little bit, uh, started to come towards me. So naturally, everybody on the team takes a step in my direction, you know, especially Murph and Wheels. Uh, but if I recall correctly, you jumped over the scorer's table and, and got on the court. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I guess the best narrative I could give for the, uh, the podcast world is you think of like men's gymnastics, like pommel horse. Yeah. And I just kind of like put my, my hands on the table, kick both legs over to the, like, to the right side and kind of swept my legs down to the court. And just took a beeline across the court because, yeah, Timmy, he painted a good picture there. It was a hostile crowd. Yeah. And my recollection is that the game was in hand. Timmy got it across the midline, and they came over to foul him. And they kind of fouled him a little rough. They gave him a good bump and kind of bumped him almost into the first row of the crowd. And then Timmy holding the ball, knowing the game was not ice. I was ice, holding the ball. You're right. Holding the ball. The game was ice. He was going to the strike one more time. 
takes a step back and gives a little smirk to the crowd, like a little arrogant smirk. Yep. I mean, yep. Timmy, like five, seven, and 130 pounds, has no business talking shit. And, um, but, you know, you got to do what you got to do. So, yeah, they they started, like you said, started pushing down to the floor, and it looked like it was going to – I, what I don't remember – like, so, yes, I went over there. I don't, I don't think I hit anybody. I probably just bulldozed into the crowd and kind of pulled you out or mm-hmm. made sure you guys were all clear. What I don't remember is did we finish the game or did we just get marched off the court right then and there? We finished the game. I definitely shot those free throws. I don't know what happened to you. I don't know if you got to just like return. Because nowadays, if that happens oh, and the, spin the dude at the scorer's yeah. table <laughs> rush the court, like yeah. that that would be the last time at the scorer's table. Yeah. But back then it was different. Yeah, it probably I, was different. Um, yeah. What I do remember is afterwards we did have to kind of like evacuate the gym like, yes. And go down, they had, like, Northampton had, like, the gym was elevated. So when you went out the side door, there was, like, a, a, a whole flight or two flights of, like, steel stairs. Yeah. And I remember going down those stairs, and then we were, like, getting rushed and pushed, and, and we always ended up getting into a fight with somebody, like, on the steps, like, going down on the steps. Yeah. Like, was chucking nuts with the guy. I mean, yeah, that was crazy. I mean, that's uh, that's an all-time, um, all-time environment. That was, that was a blast. Yeah. Um, yeah, something about Northampton. I had a similar incident with football when we were, I think it was my junior year. No, oh, no, senior year. Um, we were getting killed. It was like it was almost like the uh, the, the Patriots coming back on the Falcons. It was like twenty eight three at half. We were, I mean, they were killing us. I was getting killed. I was playing offensive line, um, and they had a nose tackle that was just fast, like like just too fast for me. Couldn't couldn't get him. He was getting by me. I just found a way to get him, and then I started owning him in the second half, and then we came back and we won. And I was talking so much shit. Like, we had to, like, run to the bus, and I'm, like, in the middle of, like, King Street in Northampton, like, double burning everybody as we get on the bus. <laughs> um, yeah, Northampton was a fun place to play. It's still, it's always, it's always interesting. Um, that was just such a, it was just another example of, you don't even wait to have my back. You just, it's, it's, uh, it's instinctive. You just jump right in and. It has changed my life, that's for sure. Um, another high school memory is, you know, every one of my friends pretty much worked at Liberty Ice one in some way, shape, or form. Even Nino, like, worked a day at yeah, Lib Ice. He did a shift there, yeah, right? he did a shift just because yeah. he had never done a shift. But you and I had whole summers. Oh, yeah. uh, I had at least one, and you might have had it more than me, but I don't remember. But um, Liberty Ice, Liberty Ice, and... Uh, once once we really were there, it became, you know, we would both be on delivery routes. So we would have to get there in the morning. You'd have the truck loaded, right? And you would, yeah, we right. would go out on different routes. Um, I would always get whatever route was easier because they knew you would work yeah. a lot faster. Uh, and I just remember a lot of classic mornings at Liberty Ice. Uh filling up two trucks and oh. then going out and then yeah. you come back you eat we would eat Salernos Salerno. or Burger King yeah. and then fill it up again another round in the afternoon uh what, I, what? I still hit Salernos when I'm in the do area. you oh yeah yes. when I'm over there for lunch I get a chicken farm nice yeah. um what one of the one of the vivid memories I have of Liberty Ice is when when you would show up a little hungover from the evening before oh. and it was just like you still would outwork me, by the way. You still would outwork yeah. me. I had a nice, chill pace at Live Ice, but um, well, the, the 
gotta we gotta paint a, a little bit of a better picture about Libice. Libice was a Allen family owned business owned by uh, Timmy's grandmother, and then you know uh, after she retired by Timmy's aunt Sue. So while we worked there, we could also kind of get away with a lot. There. Yeah, um, Sue was not the toughest boss to us, but um, you know I think we did a, a decent job there. I mean I, I worked. Three times as hard as you did. <laughs> like, I legit would have to do three full runs to Timmy's one on a Saturday. Um, whatever, you know, it was, it was, it was. Um, but yeah, there was some rough mornings there. I mean, the, the roughest for me ever was after uh, Ryan McCollum's high school graduation party. Yeah. Um, so I guess that was like, a, I was in college. My, my probably, it must have been my summer after my, my one year at U Lowell. Um, yeah, we went to his party. Then I ended up going out to the bars with his brother, um, ended up driving back, crashing at your house, crashing the den. Yep. Woke up the next morning, dragged my ass out to work. Now, what you got to know about these delivery trucks, this was, this was now, uh, June or July, nice, nice and toasty. They were like 1978 Chevy Silverado pickup trucks and the heat was stuck on. So you get in the cab and you have to roll all the windows down because when you started going, the heat would just be blowing from the from like that's right. Yeah. So now <laughs> I am as hungover as I've ever been. It's 95. It's blowing 100 degree air on me, and I'm driving around delivering ice, going into like convenience stores and talking to the people like, "Hey, how many? How you doing here?" We fill up the bins and then I go and fill out and then they give us cash or check for the ice and I go back and Sue goes. I don't know if it was Sue or if it was Terry that asked yeah. me. Terry was the other lady that worked in the office. And they go, we can't send you back out there. I go, what do you mean? Like, you just smell like terrible. Like, you smell <laughs> like you are drunk as a skunk right now. And I'm like, yeah, that was a rough night. Um, I said, all right, I'll, I'll see you later. I go back to Timmy's house, and I'm like, I, your, I think your parents were gone. So we were just having like one of those hang around all weekend times. Yep, yep. And, uh, Go back and I'm just ready to hop back on that couch. And Timmy comes up. He was he was sleeping in the basement at that point. And uh, he goes, "Yo, yo, yo." He goes, "What the hell happened to you last night?" I go, "Man, I got you know. I'm not even sure. I'm like, I drove home. Bad, all bad." He goes, "Yeah, you uh, you threw up all over the den floor. And when I came up, because I heard you, you said, I mean, it's cool. I got it all on the alarm clock.'" <laughs> And that was me excusing my actions. Because when I woke up in the morning, it was nothing, there was nothing there. It was, yeah. There was no no evidence of me throwing up. I had no recollection of throwing up. I didn't. Timmy cleaned it up for me, took care of it. And then apparently I woke up and was justifying my actions by saying was, like, that the alarm clock was some type of receptacle that was going to collect my puke. Yeah, uh, yeah Lipice was a trip though. We, we got some we had some good times there. Um, me and Ryan would. <laughs> Me and Ryan would work the, uh, you know, there was delivering and then there was working like the dock, dock yeah. where people would come in and order ice or ice um, blocks. And Ryan and I would just go in the ice house for half hour at a time and, 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 and pretend we were filming rap videos. Yeah. And I come back from my third run and these two yeah. assholes are in the ice house. I go in, I'm loading my fourth truck so I can get out early tomorrow. These guys are on top of ice balers, like on pallets, like... Yeah pretending to make rap videos i'm like <laughs> and we're all making like maybe six bucks an hour yeah. maybe yeah. um oh god that was yeah. classic 
It was classic. Propane, oh. kerosene, dry ice. Yeah. Before Wilbur, we, Wilbur kicking around. Now. Wilbur, ah, oh, my man, Wilbur. Um, before we leave high school behind and head to Wheaton, um, just want to give a shout out to James Casey. Could yes. you say a couple words to uh, James, James Casey? Casey you rest in peace. Uh, James Casey was. Uh, we met James Casey uh, <laughs> sophomore year, I think it was. Maybe sophomore junior year, um, pretty early on, um, and he was just he was just reliable. You know, <laughs> James was always there for us when we needed him. And he he was part of our crew until I think until I turned twenty one. So he was, uh, yeah, he he really brought a new element to our high school uh, life. He made us very popular too. You know, he would come to all those take parties and you know hang out with us. Oh boy. Um, yeah, shout out to James Casey, man. Oh, high school, it's a different time. Uh... So then I head to Wheaton. Um, you head to UMass Lowell. Um, and how long were you at UMass Lowell? I was at UMass Lowell for uh, exactly 14 months total. 14 months total? That includes winter and summer break. Uh, so it was October of my sophomore year when I was politely asked to uh, leave UMass Lowell. Um, politely asked yeah. to leave. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, uh, my college experience was, uh, you know, I was doing too much experimentation of a scientific major and I was a physical therapy major. Um, yeah, I was just screaming to be out on my own and uh, was not focused on education. I, I, I grew up on the streets and my, my education is in, you know, uh, life experience for yeah. the most part. Um, yeah, I just wasn't, I thought I knew everything. I thought I could uh, just live and I, I completely just busted out in a short period of time. But, you know, my path was the, had more more curves in it, but I think I found the. Uh, oh, you found um, everything. Found it, found yeah. My uh, step back on path, so. Yeah, you have found a career and an awesome family, so they're, they're absolutely. Um, so I guess if maybe Wheaton is when I start to realize if if you were providing me protection and and just sort of had my back at all times, you know, it, not as much me as much as what my life provided was places, right? So you could always be at our house yep. uh, when you wanted to. You would come to the Cape. Yep. You know, we didn't the mention lake. this, but like you would back then, I'd be at the Cape for the whole summer and. My dad would come every weekend, and many weekends you were just my dad would pick you up, bring you, and then you'd go home, and or I'd be there. Or I'd stay for a week, and then yep. he'd come back, and I'd rotate back the next weekend. Yeah, so, so places in the lake, um, for sure, with my grandpa, um, well, and then we, great days, yeah, those there. were great days. Great days washing the socks and smoking cheap money maker cigars. Yeah, and, with, uh, with the man, the myth, Charlie Allen. Um, but Wheaton became the next place, and you visited me a couple times freshman year. But then once you left UMass Lowell and went home and got your, you know, you always have had an incredible work ethic, so you got right to work. Uh, you know, you started coming to Wheaton fairly frequently on the weekends. And at, once you started building the relationships at Wheaton with everybody else, um, you were you were there all the time. You were there in a good way. Um, and so uh, I do I do recall, you know, when I lived for two years in the dorms, like, there would have to be some level of coordination. You come in, how you, you know, blah, blah, we're sleeping, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then junior year, when we moved into White House with 15 guys in a house with a million bedrooms and a big living room, 
at that point, there were many weekends where we didn't really coordinate. I would just get home from Friday class yeah. and you would be somewhere. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, there was a point where there was almost like I communicated if I wasn't coming. Yeah. Um, as well like, said, that's there was, true. There was the occasional weekend I would go to, uh, like up to Poughkeepsie to see McCollum at Marist, or I would go to like uh, Mount Holyoke College and spend some time with my friend Lori there, or, you know, puts it on UMass. But for the most part, it was weekends, man. Yeah, uh, and you're, would, you're right. Like, I would only know if you weren't coming. Yeah, you're right. That's would, a good way to say it. I was working it. at a plumbing supply house then. I would pack my bag for the weekend, um, go to work on Friday, 5 o'clock. I would be hop, I was working in the south end of Springfield, get right on. 91 North, 291, 90 to 495, and then there and an hour and 15. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cruising down the, the, uh, my Wrangler and my Jeep Wrangler back then. Um, yeah. And it, it was a time in White House where we busted into the uh, RA's apartment there. Yeah. And I actually like, right. brought down linens and posters. <laughs> yeah. um, so there, there was a bunk in there. I made that my room. Um, yeah. so, at, so at White House, 15 guys... 15 male athletes pretty much uh, living in a house in the center of campus down the pathway from the bookstore. And there was an RA apartment. You're right. Where it's someone that worked at the college and for a long time, everybody refused to live in that because of the conditions of the home. No, I wasn't even yeah. sure. Oh, no RAs would live there? Yeah, like no one oh, would yes, live yes. there. Oh, no. that, that house was like living in squalor. It was... Yeah, so... <laughs> It worked out well for you. Oh, yeah. It worked out yeah. well for you. Nice to have your own bed and your own little privacy. Um, and if you need any evidence that you um, were pretty much a graduate of Wheaton College in the year 2000, I think you need look no further than the fact that you actually got kicked out of Wheaton at, at one point. Yes. I, got a, um, I had a written letter of expulsion, if you will, <laughs> sent to Timmy. I don't think they, had, I don't think they really knew where I was living or anything like that. Um, yeah, we, we don't need to go into the why, but yeah. it, it, the, fact, did it, the fact is, yes, I did get asked not to return. Um, and i got to be honest, I think it was it was kind of heartbreaking. That was such an integral part of my life was coming down and partying with you guys. And it was the same for you, too. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I mean, to the point where, you know, I think, I think Timmy... Timmy fools a lot of people. You know, he, he's really good and articulate, but he also, he can say some bullshit in the best of them when he's talking to college board. So Timmy wrote a very heartfelt letter to the deans. I think it was, you were close to Dean Jack. So I'm not Dean sure Jack was my guy, yeah. So I think it was Dean Jack you sent it to, uh, stating how um, my not being able to return to campus would somehow adversely affect, uh, adversely affect your entire collegiate experience. <laughs> Uh, and lo and behold, shortly thereafter, I got a letter of reinstatement. Yeah. yeah. And so, I, in addition to my strongly worded letter, I had to meet with the head of public yeah. safety and discuss yeah. why I thought yeah. you should be reinstated. Yeah. And that that meeting went very well. Yeah. We got you reinstated. Yeah. and yeah. So I was expelled and reinstated <laughs> to a school I never actually attended to begin with. Uh, quite the feat. It's, like a yeah. it, it's yeah. really like a movie. Yeah. It's really like unheard of. Yeah. Unheard of. Uh, but yeah, my friends at Wheaton became your friends, and they are Still to this are. day. Yeah, yeah they, they are to this we, day. We traveled together. We went yeah. to 
We went to two destination spring breaks together. Yeah, I got on here Bahamas yeah. junior year and South Padre South senior and year. You and I went to Canada freshman year, I think, and you went to uh, my, uh, Florida, Daytona sophomore year. Sophomore year, I went out on my own. It didn't yeah. go well. I had to <laughs> fly home. Right. I didn't yeah. go. It didn't you go well. You should have taken me with you. Yeah. Got home safe yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I found out I was going to be a dad on spring break with you and all of, all the Wheaton boys. Um, yeah, those are good times, man. I mean, you, you definitely uh, gave me access to the full college experience from the social perspective. Um, I, Christ, it always got so frequent where I would walk into the dining hall and just kind of walk in. Like yeah. the thing was, they we would walk in, those guys would scan their cars, I would just sort of kind of blow by right behind them. Yeah. But it got to the point where like people started recognizing me, and it just wasn't questioned. Yeah, that's show right. To the dining hall. And, you know, <laughs> Two or three meals a day, but usually two. We would go like one meal. We usually go out and get something. Um, yep. But, Especially when you got there with a car, yeah, <laughs> like car, yo, it's a full of money, and, you know. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, <laughs> like working man's yeah. money. Yeah, we were excited. Yeah. We were excited. Um, yeah, and I mean, let's be honest. If you and Demel walk into a dining hall together, I don't know who's stopping the two of you. Just kind of like guys, just have yeah, at it, yeah, guys. Yeah, have at it. Um, so yeah, a lot of great. Um, a lot of great memories uh, at Wheaton and Bahamas and South Padre. And yeah, you know, it was funny because, you know, in the Bahamas, we had a blast junior year. Uh, so much, so much legendary stuff there, including getting the big delay and having to sleep. Oh, what, what, yeah. what town did we sleep in for a night instead of Nassau, way. Bahamas? I we slept in. That stuff. Mel always remembers the, it was a day's in. Like, I, I always thought it was Somerville, but I think it was. A different S. Sog- yeah, it's a Saugus, different S. Saugus, maybe Saugus. Yeah, there yeah, was... We, it was a day's in. We had to stay there. We, we They put us all on one floor of the day's in. Demel and I and, and Jimmy, Jimmy Casey came too. We went to... We took a cab to a, a, a package store because we were stuck in a hotel in, in Saugus for a night. Yeah. Um, and Demel and James and I came back with just cases of beer, like we to the we ended up pulling the bellhop cart, and just stacked racks of thirty racks and went right up to the room. The whole floor was just a bunch of college kids, all from UMass, uh, URI, um, Wheaton. I mean, all over, and we just partied all night long. We had a blast. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had a blast. I know now because yeah. we got to the Bahamas. Yes. But yeah. as the person who had put the trip together, oh. <laughs> it was a little stressful. It was a yeah. little stressful. Then, then we missed the plane the next morning and we had to take a bus all the way to uh, Newark. Newark. Yeah. And then we missed the plane in Newark and we had to pretty much sleep in the Newark airport that night until like the next morning. It was the yeah. next morning we didn't fly out. It was bad. And then on the way back, I remember we got stuck on the tarmac at Logan and we were out there for like, like 45 minutes or something like that just stopped right? yeah and i had something in my backpack from the overhead and they said stay in your seats but it's like come on we're not moving anywhere i just wanted to get like a new i think it was a cd because we had cd players back then yeah and uh i get up to get my backpack and the male steward steward we'll call male stewards if it's a stewardess or male flight attendant okay. <laughs> comes like barreling down the aisle at me <laughs> And grabs my backpack. And like we're having like a tug of war on my backpack. And I'm like, give me my backpack. He goes, you sit in your seat. Go, I'm trying to, but you won't give me my backpack. And finally I rip it away and I sit down. And the whole plane is erupting and cheering. And this guy like goes huffing back to like the, the, the galley kitchen at the end of the plane. <coughs> Think about it now. I would have been like 
detained and probably <laughs> shot by like an air yeah. marshal. Yeah, that's right. Like, that's right. Yeah. Uh, this was a, that was pre nine eleven behavior right there. Yeah, right? that yeah, is. I think a year later it would have been a much different outcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, well, I know from my perspective, like it was it was just awesome having my childhood brother at my college, uh, and and it was awesome seeing the friendships that others created along with you with each other so uh not to get too sentimental in the midst of a bunch of laughter but um i just saw my college friends realize that you're really good at being a friend and you're friends with all of them and some and some of them you're maybe closer to today than i am uh so uh that was really special it was special to have you suddenly be part of my college experience too yeah, I mean, it was those are great times, and some of my closest friendships today are with with some of those guys. You know, I just I was texting Myrick yesterday or a couple of days ago. Yeah, um, you know, talked to Donro uh, quite often. Um, you know, I've got the Soul Brothers bond with the Mel and Yes, Madden. you do. Um, yes, you do with your team captain Myrick. Yep, you know, <laughs> he's, he's our manager. Manager, he's our excuse me, team manager, yeah, Soul Brother team manager, manager. Soul Brother manager. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of my I, I don't have. The volume of friends that, that Timmy does. Like I have not networked throughout my life. I keep. I'm more a smaller, tighter knit circle of just really good, reliable people. Um, and a lot of those people in that circle are through that Wheaton connection. So yeah, it's, uh, that was a great day, man. Those are fun. All right, so. Now we leave college, and I wanna I wanna sort of focus on um, sort of focus on some of the relationships. You know, I keep saying that you've been like family, right? And so, um, just wanna sort of name a relationship and sort of give what I remember about that relationship for you, and then hear you know what kind of rolls off the tongue for you. So, um, you and my dad have always had a really special relationship um and you know you and my dad have some similarity in that you know my dad likes to be out there and doing things but like he's always staying active and now he's in to social service and politics and all that so but growing up you know he, he didn't have high affiliation needs he, he wasn't like me he didn't need to have 74 friends at all times um and i th always thought that you and my dad had that a little bit in common that i didn't have you know, I always wanted to make 10 more friends. Um, but anyway, so the cool relationship that you guys had and the, the story I'll tell um, is at his first retirement, his real retirement party from Mass Mutual, when, you know, you got up to speak. I think I had already spoken. Maybe I don't remember, but some either me or Mary Kay has spoken. But you got up to speak and you looked at the crowd of Mass Mutual heads and you said, I am Tim Allen's illegitimate third child. <laughs> and I don't remember anything being funnier, but getting more silence than that <laughs> Because until you laughed and yeah. made it clear it wasn't true, yeah. uh, the room was pretty still. Yeah. Uh, but I just thought that was yeah. great. And I think in some ways you meant it. I think in some ways you meant it. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, you know, having my own father pass when I was very young, at five and a half years old, um, you know, male influences were uh, external, um, and certainly Big Tim is a major influence. It was a major influence and continues to be in my life, 
you know, him and, and, uh, and Murph, or Big Murph, uh, Patrick's dad, um, you know, those are two male role models that had a significant, um, or took on a significant responsibility in helping raise me. So, um, yeah, Big Tim and I, we've always had a, a special bond, for sure. Um, that, that particular night, yeah, I, it's a simulated outline. I don't know if the exact phrasing is proper, but yeah, I got up there and said, I'm uh, Tim Allen's illegitimate son. And the people who knew me in the room, I think Belly laughed, and the people that were just mass mutual were shocking off. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, that's like, right. Like sucking the air out of the room. <laughs> it did, it did. Because it totally did. in their minds, Tim was, you know, long time married, had uh, a son and a daughter, you know, lived in a, you know, colonial on Newton Road in Springfield. Yeah. Living a pretty, you know, pretty American dream kind of life. Yep. And, uh, yep. and then truly, then I said, well, let me explain. And then I explained how he's become such a father figure to me. Um, and then, you know, they were all in on the joke at that point. Um, yeah, Tim is, Big Tim is my, my dude, man. Um, you know, he, he certainly showed me the, the love of the Celtics. Um, you know, Bruce Springsteen. Um, cheers and very early on it was kind of risque for him to let us watch married with children with yeah him, which you know they all bundy that, that show was pretty uh pretty edgy back then um he would take us we would go to central high basketball games back when travis best and then the brother years we would just good memory on the road just going to those games everywhere sitting on like the, the gym floors like in the corner that's of the gym right houses he um, nailed that. Yeah. He knew Travis was special, yeah. and he gave us four. Three, yeah. Well, I think it was three years. I can't remember if that was when you were in tenth to start, but three or four years of just going oh, to every game every we could. Every game, yeah. and then the, the Travis and the Kellogg years playing against each other, and um, yeah, I mean, then you know, into the UMass years, taking us up to the Cage and the yeah, Mall Center. That's um, right. And then, yeah, I mean, early Bruce shows, you know. Um, yeah, Tim was like uh, a good like moral guide for me, like show you the right way to get it done. Where mm-hmm. like Merce's dad was school of hard knocks, you know, yeah. how, how to survive kind of training. Yeah. Uh, and between the two of them, it filled in a lot of holes. Um, you know, Tim showed me how to be a good father. Um, just be attentive to your kids, um, take an interest in them. Mm-hmm. Um, Certainly, basketball. I mean, you know, him and I bonded over the Giants for years. We're still yeah. Me Giants too. Fans. I'm not going to yeah, lie. Yeah. Pre-Drew yeah. Bledsoe, I was all Giants. Uh, I was all Giants. We had that game where we beat San Francisco yeah. on four or five field goals. Remember? Yeah. And we were in our den, and we had the oh, pillow yeah. fight when we that won. Was, and it was fantastic. Yeah, he was there in 04 for the uh Oh, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah we'll absolutely. That. Um, yeah, just a... a and even today, when we see each other, we always have to find a way to at least have like a 60-second minimum good conversation, catch up, you know. Um, and, and recently, with Timmy's health scare, we had an incredible bonding moment um, on one very tough evening transition to morning. Um, yeah. So, yeah, very special relationship to me. Um, he'll always be my dad. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the next one I would I would talk about is my mother. And um, when I think about you and my mom's relationship, um, the word that comes to mind for me 
first is, uh, and I don't know if you'll agree, but it's understanding. And what I mean by that is there were a lot of times in my childhood where you, you like understood where my mom was at or where she was coming from on different stuff more than I did. And be it, be it something stupid and funny or be it something that mattered. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you had a, you had an understanding and she was the same way with you. Like I, you know, as much as, as much as my dad's acceptance of you becoming a, a part of my family a lot mattered, you know, my dad worked late growing up and he had a lot, you know, it was my mom, it was my mom's welcoming you as just one of us whenever it was possible. Um, and, and, uh, and she, she just loved you like deeply in my memory, like quickly, mm -hmm. like it didn't take a while. You didn't have to prove yourself. Uh, and, and it never, ever wavered. Uh, so that's what I think about when I think about you and my mom is it, it wasn't the common interests like my dad, yep. but it was just sort of this deep understanding at all times for better or worse. Uh, what comes to mind for you? Yeah. Mary is, a. Uh... Her, her style of parenting was was slightly atypical. Um, you know, she's a, a, a brilliant woman, an academic, you know, a, a doctor of education. Um, but she was very free-spirited and, and still is on, on many levels. Yeah. Um, but I think she, and, and I don't think I'm speaking at a, time, at a turn, but she's also has a, a certain, like she's neurotic in a way. And... Um, and maybe anxious and hyper concerned, maybe, you know, early on, I think that in our relation, and, and this is like early on, like she trusted me where it made it even easier for her to say, it's okay for you to do this. Yeah. Like she, because of my ability, like she had faith in me that made it easier to say, okay, you can do this. Yeah. Uh, let me circle back to you just crossing the street, you know? Yeah. Um, but, um, she knew very early on you were going to be all okay mm. when you were in my presence. Um, so just based on that, I mean, I think I, I gave her peace of mind where she often had trouble finding peace of mind. Um, you know, she, I, I, I remember the, the thin pancakes. She always made those thin oh, pancakes. Oh, the best, yeah. yeah. Almost like crepe-like pancakes. Yeah, the best. At the cage, we wake up. Be in the little galley kitchen making us some crepe pancakes, and then we just go to the beach. And um, yeah, I and, and Mary would, uh, Mary would, she wouldn't shy away from saying she can be tough to handle sometimes because of she she's she feels very deeply. Yeah, her, she feels deeply, and she's opinionated, and it, and sometimes her I, that's where I got are, it from. That's yeah. where I got it from. But sometimes her her feelings don't necessarily align with the feelings the way other people are feeling. So I think she might feel like she's on an island at times, and I've always had a way of kind of just saying, "Yeah, but your way is okay too." You know? Yeah. Um, I, I think I give her peace of mind when she when she might feel alone that she's not alone. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, a her and our my me and Mary's bot. It's harder for me to put in words. It's more of like a. It's more of. A, kind of a quiet and almost silent understanding of each other yeah um, it's very hard to define and that's why that word understanding yeah. comes to mind and i think you nailed it when you said 
she trusted you early yeah. and it it changed my life because it gave me the ability to do some things yeah. that you know she was the one doing the parenting from 2 30 to sure. 6 30 and uh back in our day that was a big time oh, each day we talked recently about yeah. like we would go she'd have to take us over to springfield college right yeah that's right um, she was at lachlan hall and we would just go yeah we would grab we would go down to blake arena and play ball we would play up on the on the um the track in there until we got kicked out then we go to the lower gym and then we work our way back to blake when we thought it was clear yeah we did that for hours and we go over to the cafeteria and get some food and i mean just even marching around springfield college campus if you know that area especially back then like we're talking mid 80s I mean, it's a lot different now. A lot feels a lot safer now, but back then it was pretty, pretty rough and tumble neighborhood. Yeah. With like just the nice college campus kind of dumped in the middle of some really rough streets on the uh, on the outskirts. Um, but yeah, we would just she would feel I think comfortable just yep. letting us go. Yeah, and that was important because one of the best things she did for me was sometimes she would give me a, a place or a thing and then say, "Figure it out," yeah. and that has allowed me to bring that mentality to life. And I think she was able to say, figure it out, like you said, at Springfield College or at the Cape or a million other places more often because you and she understood each other and had a deep trust. One, one funny thing I'll say about Mary, and this has always resonated with me throughout the years, is that when we were kids, Mary could lose the other shoe like nobody else could lose the other shoe. <laughs> That's right. There was, I don't, I just, in an infinite amount of time, it would be, Guys or kids, help me find my other shoe. Yeah. Like, all right, what, what's the shoe you have? And she, she would kind of, we'd see the shoe we had. Then we had to look for the other shoe. And more often than not, than not, it would be behind the couch in the yeah, den. Right. And I'm not like, like just behind. It would be like in a very deep yes behind yeah. the couch. Like it's like, how did the shoe like be? How did it find its way back there, Mary? Yeah. You know? And it was yeah. because we were the only family in the world that you. Behind the couch was a shoe storage area, like, and I, I, yeah, so, something I thought was normal growing up, which is obviously so not normal. Either, either behind, if we were lucky, it was in the uh, in the closet, right off the half bath there before the basement stairs. If you got that was an easy one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Easy, find. easy find, easy so, find. You'd have to move furniture to get it at that one. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Always have looking for the other shoe. All right, two more relationships to go. The next one is Mary Kate, um, and what strikes me with Mary Kate is you already touched upon how. At your house, you were the little brother. You were clearly the little brother and fending for yourself and and dealing with an older brother and then a much older, mature, amazing sister and Carla. Um, but then you would come to my house and you would quickly have this little sister, Mary-Kate. Mm -hmm. And uh, so sort of what I remember um, about that is just you're in so many ways – you were a more typical big brother to her than I was, you know? I mean, I like to think that she was learning from watching me, mm. but I didn't really mentor. Uh, and I feel like you, you, uh, you protected her. You understood she was younger. You understood what that meant to the dynamic of mm. every interaction. Uh, so I just feel like you were a really good big brother to her. So what, what do you remember about your relationship with MK, especially yeah. coming up? Um, well, she's been in my life since she was two and a half. That's um, crazy. That's crazy. Um, yeah, she's certainly my my little sister. Um, and I've always been the same very protective mentality towards her, although I haven't had to like flex those protective muscles with her yeah. like I have with you. Um, just because it's just, I think it's an hours thing, hours spent together. Um, 
I don't remember like in a lot of in a lot of friendship relationships or, or family relationships. Sometimes the little siblings would be a nag, and it's always like I was trying to get rid of her. And I never really had a problem with her. I mean, I think maybe because there was also the integration with the Fay girls, and they maybe you know her and Maureen being closer in age, it kind of mm-hmm. took the pressure off of us. But even when they weren't around, like she wasn't like a hassle to like third wheel. No, she did fit in quite well with us. Um, and then as she got older, I mean, it was a, a, a blast, you know, just watching her develop into uh, an athlete. Um, you know, those state championship runs we did with her with, mm-hmm. um, at Menachog and uh, and even the, her becoming a lacrosse star in those national championship runs and mm-hmm. going up to Amherst College and watching some of that. Um, I think... When her and I talk, there's such a, a, a universal respect for each other. Um, you know, she's obviously just become a rock star of a human being, but um, you know, crushing it in the professional world. I mean, you know, her family, like her, her boys, have become my little nephew types. Yeah. Her husband is like my bro. I mean, um, and, and you know, one thing over the last six months is that with your health issue is that a lot of these relationships that sometimes might sit a little more dormant with not, not to say that they're not um, still solid. They're just, they don't have to be, they don't have to be worked on or fostered and, and refreshed. Every, they're just, you know, they're there. And that's yep. easy. It's reliable. That's the family part of it. And right? it's, it de- makes it lower maintenance and we can, you know, but you know, her and I have reconnected tremendously over the past six months. Um, but it's, again, I, I have a hard time defining it because it's not a, you know, I don't have a little sister. I have an older sister and my relationship with my older sister is very close, it, but it's also very similar in, in ways. Like you think about people you absolutely respect and trust and what they tell you, there's certain people that when they say things to me, I am, I'm absorbing every word. Every word is valuable to me. Every word, I, I, I believe it. I trust it. You can, it's, it's ironclad and concrete. And that's with Mary Kate. Anything she says to me, it's, it's, it's worth listening to. And it's worth absorbing. Yeah. Um, I just, I trust her. Just, I, I can't, I don't even know the word. It's implicitly. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. And she, I mean, she's so generous and loving and she, Loves my girls when she sees them. She's you know, with her, with uh, her success in life. She and, and, and her and Kyle have been so generous to me with you know, the lake house, and you know I'm using their their condo this week, upcoming weekend when I go to a concert. Um, yeah, I mean she's awesome. I, I couldn't love her more, and you know, yeah, she's definitely my little sister. Yeah, you know, I, I I didn't have in my in the, the bloodline. Um, it's been easy, you know. If you think about having to defend little sisters, she hasn't made bad decisions that I've had to be there <laughs> no, for she's her. Made you know? very few bad she's decisions. made very few bad decisions. Yeah. So that makes that makes the role of the big brother a lot easier. Yeah. I didn't have to fight for her. You know, she married probably the best guy on the planet. On the planet. That was, yes. That great. All right. Great. That was easy. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, she didn't. She didn't marry some like mill worker with a drinking problem. Yeah. You know, she, yeah. she married an awesome guy. That's easy. 
Um, yeah. She's made it easy to be a big brother. Yeah, that's great. And so, all right, and the last one is Della. Um, when I started dating Della, my end of my sophomore year, you already knew her because you've been coming to Wheaton and Della was a close friend of mine before we were dating in any way. Um, but then we started dating and, you know, there were certain boxes that the one I was going to be with was going to have to check. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, one of the boxes was like, gets along with Nick. <laughs> like that was gonna, that was part of what the resume needed to say. And, uh, you know, with you and Della, that was immediate. Um, it was immediate. And what I remember is it was pretty quickly independent of me. So it wasn't about like, hey, we both like Timmy, like, let's get along. It was like, whoa, like, this is, this is easy. This yeah. is uh, automatic. Um, and, you know, operationally, my early memory is my junior year, her sophomore year, my senior year, her junior year, you know, she wanted to see Corn and she wanted to see Metallica and whoever else. Um, no, who's the one? Oh, Stained. Yep. I didn't want to see any of those yep. bands at all. And uh, you wanted to see all of them. So you and her became concert buddies. Um, but anyways, I, I'll always appreciate how quickly she and you loved each other and took pleasure in, in your relationship with each other? Well, it, you think about like our you and I relationship. You and I have a lot in common, but we have a lot that's not in common. Yeah, yeah. Right? But what we don't have in common, Della and I have in common. Like Timmy said, just um, music. Um, like Timmy and I love rap music. Timmy does not like hard rock and metal. Della like hard rock and metal. Her and I could we bonded very quickly on that. Um, yeah, it, I, we were we were fast friends. Um, it's hard to. It, it was beyond music and probably things we we shouldn't talk about and won't talk about. Um, but we also had a, a very common love for Timmy, um, obviously in different ways. Um, yeah, she's my dude, man. I, I say that in the most loving way possible, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I was the best man at your wedding. Yeah. Um, I was, God, there's just been so much through the years, uh, including, you know, this past summer, you know, being with her at Cape Cod Hospital yeah. during those very early moments of uh, of your heart attack. Yeah. Um, you know, she, she's like a sister to me, without without hesitation. Um, you know, now she's the principal for my kid. Um, yeah. I mean, it's been a wild ride. Yeah. I mean, we, we had some concerts, uh, and we had some memories and some moments, and uh, – she was just always one of the dudes from very early on. Like she just, it's very hard to be the one girl that's universally accepted in a group of a household of 15 guys. I mean, there were others that were there, but she was one of the guys. Yeah. Very early on. I mean, I think that stems from her having two brothers uh, and growing up on, you know, the mean streets of Malden and, you know, the, the top Italian family. Um, but she just fit right in from very, very early on. It was just like, 
she could she could do everything with us and do nothing with us all at the same time. Um, which there was a lot of us doing nothing in the living room. That's right. You know, White House. Yeah, that's and right. She would sit there and watch us, you know, do dumb parlor games out in the side yard yeah. or Deer Olympics. And I mean, she was there for all of it, and even the, the spring breaks. And um, yeah, she's a. She's probably, you know, when you think about female relationships outside of my my marriage, I, I, I between her and Mary Kate, I don't think there's closer yeah um and you know she's a you know you, you think about people i value other people's lives more than i value my own i value Della's life more than i value my own i would take a bullet for her um and that's the god honest truth um and she takes care of my dude yeah you know so yeah she's awesome yeah and i, I think i i love I love that you said she was my dude right away. Uh, I think that summarizes your relationship really well. Uh, all right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna list off a couple more quick memories. Okay. I want to get to two more bigger topics before we finish, but um, I'm gonna run through these, and then if you want to talk about any of them, you you pick and choose. Yeah. Um, one was your Halloween wedding. Uh, your Halloween costume wedding. Okay. Yeah. You know, I've needed you more than you've needed me, but that day when you wanted to do the prank with the fake gun and, and this, and then I was just, I remember thinking, I just need to get the gun out of this. I just need to get the gun out of this. And, um, and, and, and we did, and yeah. you did a good prank, and yeah. it was still funny. Uh, but it was an honor to say your wedding, and it was an honor to be part of your prank. Um, Another one for me that I had written down was after college, I backpacked Europe that fall. I came home on November 15th, and I believe it was November 17th. I was, Ryan's birthday is which day? 17th? Yeah, yeah so it was either 17th or the 18th. must have been the 18th. Um, with my long, shaggy hair after not showering in Europe <laughs> very often for two months, um, I was in the hospital holding your baby. And that was a big, it was number one, beautiful to meet my goddaughter, beautiful to see you in the type of moment you were in. And it was a big transition for me because I was just coming off this trip and now I'm seeing my number one guy enter this new phase of life. Uh, big moment in my life. Um, my sort of fake bachelor party in Vegas, we're after it. Everybody went home and me and you drove to Reno to see the Mur Mrs. Murphy yeah. and then we drove to San Francisco to see Mary Kate and Kyle. Tahoe, Yosemite. Tahoe, Yosemite, that was an awesome trip. Um, and and the last one I'll say for me is just um, the 2004 Red Sox run. You know, that was such a spiritual eight games yeah. for New Englanders and for true fans. And uh, it just always felt right that I shared that moment with three people more than anyone else. My grandfather, going up to a soldier's home with him, either four games or in between games. My dad and you. Uh, and I remember, um, and I remember you beat the, the, the game four and five wins that were so late. I remember you being on my couch and the whole time. And it just felt like, it just felt like a metaphor for life. Like wh whoever you were with during those games is who you're with yeah. in life. Right. Yeah. And I'm so happy I was with you. Yeah. That was, that was a crazy run. I mean, we were, we were like, 
old school baseball dudes too, like like the the, 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 the little uh, superstitions. Like we would have to sit in the same place on the couch. I literally wore the same shirt. Like yeah. I would have to have like a, a some kiss like in the fourth inning. Like like really like precision type movements like during those games as not to you know, you know screw up the the, the the flow the rhythm yeah you know um but that was yeah those 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 2 a.m games man those were something those were wild it's probably i mean we've had some great sports moments um but i don't know if anything tops like those games four and five that yeah that, that was just amazing unbelievable um, the wedding thing yeah like I mean, for those who don't know, I had a fake wedding. I, I eloped in Vegas with my wife, and we staged a fake costume wedding where Timmy was officiated it. And I, I, I ran from the altar, and Timmy had to stand up there you know, with some very uncomfortable eyes on him. For those who didn't know what was going on, as, as Murph, who played the role of my best man, him and I slow rolled around the Elks Lodge in Enfield and then walked back in the front, like, if you think of like a church, like the, the main entrance to the church, you're like, surprise, happy Halloween, we're already married. Um, and that was a blast. A lot of people still say that was the, the funnest wedding they've ever been to, which is a, a, a great uh, you know, badge of honor to carry that uh, carry that with. Um, obviously, yeah, having a kid, I mean, I can only imagine that like, if you walk back from just a, a carefree summer and then you just got smacked in the face with my, like, like, Reality. Yeah, my life has yeah. just changed. Um, you know, Ryan is, you know, she's a Christ, she's a senior in college, she's graduating in May. <laughs> it's crazy to think. Um, yeah, I mean, Christ, talk about you know, we were in South Padre when I got confirmation that I was going to be a dad, and yeah, we celebrated down there, and um, and then you know, you, you were there for me. Obviously, you when you came back to the region after you did Boston, then you were uh, living over on uh, Price Road. No, the one when you moved oh, back sorry, home. when I moved back here, Rockland, yeah, yeah Rockland, Rockland, yeah. I mean, your time at Rockland when I was a young dad, I yeah. Because you were there when like my ex and I started breaking up, and I was then now going to be a single dad, and um, and have to bring Ryan over on occasion, and uh, yeah. Those were those were fun days. I mean, it, it's it's strange to think back. That was also the beginning of like a, a darker time in my life, dealing with depression. Yeah. You know, after I had broken up with my ex and coming to terms, I, I had always wanted to be a dad. I always had the dream, like having the family I didn't have, um, with my dad dying early. And now I wasn't having that. I was going to have a an alternative family, um, and. That, that was hard for me to get over for years, um, but having you guys there at Rockland, whether you knew what I was going through or not, um, just there was, um, and the Don Roll living there, and just the parties, and the yeah. just hangs, and just, it was a good, great time. Um, yeah. All right, so two more big ones. Right. Um, obviously, um, me, you, and the Wheaton crew have started 16 Lyrics, yeah. the nonprofit focused on social justice and anti-racism and very proud of the things we've been doing so far. Um, but as we put that together, you know, you, you really were having a, a public, um, sort of, it's not awakening cause it's not like you weren't awake, but it just like you, you were very public with how you were feeling about how the world was going. Yeah. And, 
you know, if some people processed internally, I'm sure you were processing internally, but you also were very open with frustration mm -hmm. and learning and um, personal thinking. Uh, so would you, you know, just sort of talk about that for a minute. What happened sure. for you? Well, I mean, I think you know, being, starting to see the George Floyd videos um, was just, there was a, a light switch that turned on that one day. I mean, I, I've never, I've never fancied myself as one who sees difference in race as an issue. I mean, I grew up in the city. Um, you know, we went to very uh, mixed schools. Um, I have, you know, longtime friends of opposite races. But to say I was like fully aware of what was going on in the world, I, I, I don't want to say I was unaware because I am a pretty uh, engaged person. But it's easy just to not really see it at mm. times when it's not the, the world you're living in. But something that day, seeing that video, just really dissecting it, and and then it snowballed from there. You know, you, you okay. So what else have I missed? Mm. And then you start to um, I don't know, I'm brain farting, but the young gentleman in, in Georgia, Ahmad Arbery, Ahmad yeah. Arbery, and uh, and that. Just that blew my mind. And then, you know, um, the woman in Kentucky, uh, Breonna Taylor. Breonna Taylor. And just that, that whole, like all three of those in that spring. And you just start to realize that, man, this world has come so far, but it still has so far to go. And then you just stop. I start thinking about the political climate. And then you see Black Lives Matter. And then you see, um, you know, People standing up, starting to use their voices, and I just, I, I had to start using mine, too. You know, I, I went to a couple rallies. Um, I certainly was fighting on the internet probably far too often with people. Um, I think there has been real regression in recent years with some of the uh, social issues in this world, and I think a lot of that has to do with the recent political climate setting us backwards. Um, and it's alarming. Um, it's alarming. Um, but I'm also fortunate to be have my uh, my thoughts and outlooks aligned with a really good group of guys that are, are long term friends. Uh, a lot of them are way more knowledgeable on these race race issues than I am. I mean, you've been a great mentor. McClellan's been a great mentor, uh, and I've also been pig headed and stubborn and um, not played well in the sandbox with even our friends sometimes, or I've, I've, I've tuned out because I haven't liked the way things have gone. I don't, I don't, and those are more procedural things than disagreement on the actual work we're doing or, um, or what's disagreeing on what's actually occurring in the world. Um, but, you know, I, I'm scared for this world right now. But I'm also, um, I see hope as well because there's, there's good people. You know, systemic racism or racism in general does not get solved by black people. It gets solved by a coalition of people working together. And it's going to take a shitload of white people to stand up in unity with black people to say this is not right. 
And I'm proud to be one of those people that's standing up with my brothers and sisters um, and saying, enough. We need to look at so many facets between education, policing, uh, you know, incarceration. I mean, there's, there's so much to look at. I mean, death row. I am always a guy who is going to be swayed by statistics, mathematics, statistics, those things will all will, will convince me more than anything else. Science as well. Uh, but even science, science is sometimes to me is a little wonky because I'm not a scientist. Well, I'm not a mathematician either, but if you give me good, hard probability and statistical data, you can sway me. And just the stats are undeniable. I just wish people would look at the numbers if they are skeptical. Um, you might not see it with your eyes, but if the numbers don't paint an accurate picture, I, we just have blinders on that we need to try to uh, rip off the face. <laughs> yeah, well, I think um, I think a lot of us were realizing we weren't as enlightened as we thought we were yeah. during that time. Um, but I think for me, you know, as much as I've tried to be educated on this and, and con consistently learning, you know, sometimes you just need passion and you just need openness. And that's what you provided um, in many ways. And, you know, as we first started kicking around the idea of 16 lyrics, it took a lot of people having a lot of energy and a lot of passion. And mm -hmm. at least from my perspective, you were one of the people leading the way in just the something needs to be done and what can we do? Yeah, I feel like that energy, unfortunately, has subsided a bit recently, but I've been talking about it right now. Hopefully, rekindles the, the flame because it's, it's happening again. You know, some of the things, you know, just, uh, another young man was executed in Minneapolis what, last week, two weeks ago, um, sleeping on a couch. <sighs> it's, it's frustrating. Yeah, um, and, and, it's, and we're doing a ton of great work with yeah. 16 Lyrics, currently even, and so it's... It's all good things. All right, so last topic, and I don't want to get stuck here, but I have to mention it, is obviously I had the incredible medical challenge this summer. And, you know, you've carried me on your shoulders a lot of the way through my life, and uh, never more so than this summer. And so, you know, what sticks out to me is, number one, you were on a family vacation, and you took off that day, right? And you, like you said, you made it to Cape Cod Hospital. Um, so yeah, that was even before I got med flighted to Boston. Um, number two, you had the incredibly awful task of communicating with all my friends, um, both high school and college friends. Um, and I can't imagine what that was like. Uh, and number three, you were the driving force or at least one of them, if not the one behind Timmy Strong and nothing operationally has changed my life quite like Timmy Strong for, for first of all, helping me see the network of support I had when I, when I woke up on day 31 and uh, also helping me pay for all that went on. Um, so you, you know, it's, it's, you can't quantify one versus the other, but you were involved the day it happened. Yeah. You were involved the next couple days mm -hmm. and you were involved forever thereafter. So I think, I mean, I think we can actually keep this shorter than, you might imagine because I think you've already done podcasts about your experience and but I guess what, what I think is worth talking about is those early hours that I'm not sure you and you and I have ever even talked about 
I'm not sure if we have, but so I was at the I was at Old Lyme at my sister's and the brother-in-law's beach house with my two daughters. It wasn't really on vacation, but it was just a weekend or overnight. And I get a call from Murph. And it was, did you hear it to me in a heart attack? I go, what are you even talking about? Like, mm. no, come on. He goes, yeah, I just heard that. And I'm like, all right, well, let me, I'll call you back. Let me, let me, let me make some calls here. Um, so I tell my sister, I'm literally on, sitting on the sand. I go, Carla, I got to go take a, make a phone call. I just walk off off the beach, off the sand. There's like a little like park bench right there, and I called Kyle. Like that's a safe one. He would definitely yeah. know. It's not like calling Mary Kate if it's a real Kyle. You know, he'll, he'll but he'll know. So I go Kyle, and it's uh, yeah. I'm like, but yeah, massive. Like well, we didn't know it was a massive heart attack, but yeah, he's had a heart attack, and we're like, like we're trying to figure out what's going on. I'll call you back, and then I'm. I call Murph back and go, okay, Kyle says yes. I don't know to what extent, but we're going we're gonna to figure this out. So immediately I'm kind of frozen. I'm like, I don't know what to do here. I don't know whether to gather information or like, should I be somewhere? And I guess I, I, I knew what I wanted to do, which was go. Yeah. But there was some logistical things that had to happen there. Course, and I yeah. also wanted... You know, one thing about our, our, our relationship is that we've had stretches where we haven't been as actively close. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been always been close, but that's the beauty of our relationship is that it can be low maintenance. We yep. don't have to be, uh, we don't have to talk every week. We've yeah. gone months without talking. And, you know, as we go through our, our lives and our summer lives, like, I, don't, I didn't even know you were up the Cape. You know, yeah, I yeah. You know yep. so we're not, we weren't keeping that close of tabs on each other at that time. Um, so I, I kind of wanted permission to be there. I needed somebody on the inside, like the, the, the immediate blood to say, yes, go. And um, it was Mary Kate who gave me the green light. I don't, I, I, I had texts and I'm like, if you, whatever you need to be, if you want me to be there, I'm there. And she goes, yes, she gave me the green light. So I get my kids I talk to my sister. She's like, go. I call my wife. She's going to come down, pick up the kids. I get, get my, my house in order. I, I change. I throw my shit in the car, and I just start heading towards Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. So I'm now going to cut through Providence and make my way down to the Cape. Yeah. Um, but now i got to find a way to communicate this to people. Um, and I'm still just dealing with the shock of it all myself. So. Yeah. Um, so now I'm on the highway driving along. I, we have our group chat. I send, I send a message out to all the boys. Hey, I need you guys to call me. Uh, I'm not, this is not something I'm going to post or, or text and everyone in our, and I understand it, but they thought it was a joke. <laughs> yeah. uh, like says, says a lot about it. the quality yeah, of our group they chat. They didn't trust the, the info. <laughs> so I had to be stern with it. And I, I actually had to make the first call. Mm-hmm. So I ended up calling Bruno because he was one of the ones that was skeptical of the post. Or at yeah. least he, he, he mentioned he was skeptical. So I call him and go, no, this is not a drill. I explained it to him. And then it was just after we just were like, like jaw dropped. Like, yeah. Uh, I was like, all right, now, Bruno, this is what I need you to do. I need you to like vet my information. Like yeah. say this is not a fire. This is not a drill. Uh, and then help me like start. Because I don't, guys didn't, they didn't need to hear this and read it. They needed to hear it. Yeah. So he took some calls. I kept making calls. 
And then I got some calls, and I'm not going to throw anyone the bus, but I got some interesting calls from people who shouldn't have been calling me at this point that wanted information and were looking for inside information. And um, But in that two-hour ride with traffic, I, mean, I made a ton of phone calls. That was the easy part. Yeah. Right? The hard part is when the calls were made, and then you're stuck in traffic, and then your mind's just racing, and you don't know. No, you can't keep calling Rachel and Stella because they've got, they're dealing with everything already. So I ended up getting to Hyannis. Um, saw Stella very quickly in the hotel or the hospital lobby. And it was just like, Ugh. like I don't know. What's going on? Yeah. So as we know, you took the helicopter to Boston. I, I drove up to Boston to stay with the family. Uh, we checked in, got the kids in, got the hotel. Um, so down for the night, Tim and I, Big Tim and I were sharing a room. And then it was, that's when him and I had probably the most deepest talk I've had with him ever, which was um, him and I talking candidly. I mean, I, I've had experience with, with death, close death, um, probably more than most, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Um, but what was interesting was, you know, Tim, your father, who was going, you know, obviously was just as devastated by all this as others. He was more concerned about everybody else. Mm -hmm. And one thing he said to me, he's like, if my son doesn't make it, I know I'll be okay. I just don't know about Mary and Della and the girls. And that was just a real moment where it just showed me how strong he was. I mean, you're, you guys are, he's your best friend. You're his best friend. But in the moment, he knew that he, like, this, this is his life. He had a real like moment of clarity about the situation, mm -hmm. and you know him and I just sat there. And, you know, if you think about two double beds in a hotel, like both sitting off the edge of our beds, kind of like you and I are now, but a little closer, and just kind of like talk and then stop talking and then sit there in silence and talk. Then we got some rest, and then Kyle woke us up at five o'clock, and that was the real crappy morning where we didn't know what happened and we had to run up to the, the hospital. Uh, without knowing why, so it was me, Tim, Kyle, Mary, Kate, and Della, like marching up there, and uh, that was an all-time moment. Yeah. I think for all of us. Yeah. Where you think about cementing your legacy with each other, and you know, just solidifying your bond for life. The five of us sitting there, just waiting, unknown. You know, double time, hop stepping up to the hotel five or up to the hospital at five in the morning. Um, was just the weight of. Literally, we thought you were dead. Yeah. Like, we thought, this is, they don't want to tell us he's dead over the phone. They want to tell us in person. We're not walking in there thinking you're gone. Yeah. I mean, Della, you know, she obviously was a wreck. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, being there for her, I think I think she would admit too, it was, it was great. It was helpful for me to be there needed to be there but it was also great to be needed by her mm -hmm. and your sister um so but yeah it, there, there was nothing else to do you know yeah People, like i had to be there yeah um it was just great to get like i said that early quick permission and then over the subsequent weeks you know coming back every weekend we were just spending time with the boys or going to a Sox game with them or you know some of the wheaton guys coming up or you know, I did get to go see you when you were still unconscious one time and just, you know, talk to you and hold your hand and 
know, yeah. be there with your mom and have a real special moment with Mary in there, seeing, you know, how maternal she still is after all these years. And, um, and the, the Timmy Strong thing just came very, I mean, that was, it started with us kind of talking on uh, WhatsApp and some guys throwing some graphics together and um, debating over colors and names and images and all of a sudden I'm like, we should, like, we should put this on shirts and then thought of a way to do that and got Spencer involved yep. and then, you know, got Susie Guile involved with the PTL and then just kind of exploded from there, you know, yeah. and really, sure, it needed somebody to kind of facilitate a lot of the moving parts there and that's kind of what I do in my, 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 my profession. I'm, yep. a, I'm an operations guy, so give me a task, let's get it done. Um, so the task was clear. We had to raise the money, raise some money. I needed to put the right people in the right places. And, and Susie was a tremendous asset. And Spencer was completely generous with his networking and giving us, you know, shirts at cost without marking it up for his trouble. And then just a whole village of people helping distribute and, you know, people buying them. There's 2,400 shirts. I mean, shit. Um, crazy. And then, that, you know, then you got into buying AEDs and you got the Hall of McCollum got the Hall of Fame involved. And, um, and he was a tremendous help too with the uh, the press stuff um, and the social media, the, the page, you know, getting you know your cousin Mary or uh, Maureen in as a admin and a couple other people admin on the page and helping put the information out there daily because <coughs> people wanted updates. And very early on, it was just Kyle texting me, and then I would text a couple groups of people. But then it became the page, and then it became posting on the page, and then still texting groups of people. Um, and frankly, being as busy as I was that month of August was exactly what I needed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Talk about, you know, if I was sitting around doing nothing, that would have been way worse. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I'm proud of the work we did there. I'm proud of the work we're still, we're still doing with it. Um well, listen, man, um, you know, I started this little intro before you joined us talking about how in so many ways you've carried me on your shoulders through life, um, how much you've protected me, how dedicated you've been to me, um, from freaking Peace Child to at Northampton to Timmy Strong. Um, my life just wouldn't even be close to the same without you. Um the point of this podcast is to sort of document and give mem give vocal memoirs to like my relationships with others. And, you know, you weren't my first guest, but in my life, you were my first guest. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're my longest tenured guest. And, uh, you know, uh, I love you, man. And life wouldn't be the same without you. And uh, just I can't say thank you enough. And like I said, you've been there all along. But I needed you more than ever this summer, and you were there more than ever this summer, which is the equation you live by, and I appreciate it. Man, I'm glad to do this, man. There was a time where we weren't sure we were going to be able to do this because um, I, uh, I like to be candid for a moment. I was a little pissed when I wasn't the first one to get. Yeah, it. yeah, you should have been. Yeah, shit, man, I got I got the most time in yeah, here. Yeah. I'm not going first. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm glad you had a method to your madness. You wanted to get a couple under your belt, and yeah. you know, and uh, you know, when you went down, I'm like, oh, I guess we ain't gonna do some shit. And then, uh, but here we are. 
and uh, it was fun. And uh, I apologize to you all for the sound of my voice, but I can't stand my own voice on recording. So, uh, <laughs> I hope I don't sound Thanks, man. This has been a blast. Thank you, man. Thanks for love you too. Thanks for joining my tribe. Keep it moving. Yeah, yeah, to the K I M. Keep it moving. True that, to the K I M. Ain't got no time for shucking and jiving.